Hey, everyone, and welcome to Jazz United. My name is Nate Chenin. I'm the editorial director at WBGO, and I wanted to proceed this episode with a, a quick editorial note. This will be the last episode of Jazz United. It's due to some circumstances beyond our control. Uh, my co-host, Greg Bryant, is no longer with WBGO. He's moving on um, to, I'm sure, some better and, and brighter things. And obviously, this moment is is bittersweet. Uh, I wanted to just take a moment to thank you, first of all, for going on this journey with us. And it really has been a journey. We started this show in the spirit of connection and conversation in the depths of the early phase of the pandemic. Uh, we were seeking connection. And I had a, a hunch that in Greg Bryant, uh, there was a, a, a soul that I really wanted to get to know and connect with. And that really bore out. I think if you followed this show, you can see that, that, um, that we really did get to explore a lot of, a lot of topics. We got to build a relationship over the air. And I'm proud to say that, uh, that Greg is, uh, a, a dear colleague, a good friend, someone whose ear and instincts I trust and somebody I've learned a lot from. And I know if you have hung with this show, you've learned a lot from him too. Um, and so I want to uh, dedicate this final episode of Jazz United to my friend, Greg Bryant. Uh, and I also want to say that, uh, that this isn't the end of the road. Greg and I are going to continue this conversation, uh, certainly offline, IRL, as they say, and maybe in some other form. So in the meantime, I hope you enjoy this final conversation. It features the two of us working through some things together. Uh, I think you'll you'll appreciate uh, the spirit of this conversation. So once again, thank you very much. And uh, this one goes out to Greg. Hey, everybody. This is Greg Bryant host of Jazz After Hours on member-supported WBGO. And I'm Nate Chenin, editorial director at WBGO. Jazz United is the show where we talk about people, places, and things. In our musical community, we love to get together, Nate and I, and just chop it up. And before we get started uh, with our subject today, we want to send a quick note of thanks of everyone that uh, has joined uh, our listening family. Uh, the numbers are looking really good, and it's because you our listeners and friends are talking about this show, sharing this show. We just wanted to say thank you. Uh, it's been a ball hearing from you all. But we're going to get right to it. Um, you heard at the top of the show, Night Train, the ever-smoking, boogieing, uh, jaw-dropping, pianistic virtuosity of Oscar Peterson. And that's uh, who we're going to be talking about today. Greg, you're sounding like a hype man right now. <laughs> hey, man, <laughs> it's because I've watched this new movie, this documentary, Black and White, and uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about some hype in the second half of this show for sure. Well, Greg, you, you set it up. This is a, a conversation show. This, mm -hmm. you know, we get together and and we continue the, the kind of exploration that that goes on when we're off the mic. You know, yeah. comparing our listening, <laughs> talking about, uh, you know, what's the, the flotsam and jetsam of our musical discourse. And this is kind of an unusual show because uh, I feel like it's the most common for us to get on here 
and just rave right. and sh- share in, in our enthusiasm and bask in the greatness of one thing or another. We're mm-hmm. going to do that today, but we're also going to express, um, I don't know, some, some other feelings. Um, because as we were talking about Oscar Peterson on the occasion of this new documentary film, uh, I feel like we we each kind of bashfully made a confession. <laughs> we did. It turned out it turned out that we kind of share the same uh, the same vibe, which is that uh, we both have an enormous amount of admiration and respect for Oscar Peterson, mm-hmm. um, but we don't love him as much as maybe we feel like we should. Yeah, is that yeah. is that accurate? Did I that's put very that the right accurate? Way? Absolutely. Um, it's a bit of a blind spot in my case, and it's not because. Uh, I haven't been acquainted with the music, haven't heard the albums, haven't been proselytized by Oscar uh, devotees. But uh, for me, this movie helped me to crystallize and actualize what my personal issues um, in appreciating fully the legacy of of Oscar Peterson are. They have to do with um, competition, and they have to do with ornamentation. Um, but again, like you say, uh, neither one of us are here spouting off, you know, foolishness about Oscar Peterson can't play. No, quite the contrary. <laughs> and we're yes. going to show you and and, and uh, share some yeah. examples of when the light bulb went off about the majesty that Oscar Peterson uh, was able to uh, get out of those 10 fingers of his. The proof is in the pudding. And uh, I think... You know, there's a reason we open with Night Train. Um, but I want to open by talking about sort of early exposure. Um, because, you know, one of the things that I think, I don't know if this is still true, actually. But, you know, when we were coming up, um, beginning to form our relationship with the jazz canon, um, mm-hmm. you know, so let's say this is the 1980s, right? Mm-hmm. Um there were certain figures who were undeniable cultural ambassadors and like just, you know, virtuosic and, um, and, and just unimpeachable greats. And they mm-hmm. were still among us. Right. That's and right. so, you know, for a while, Dizzy Gillespie was one of those. He was, he was still around and Art Blakey was one of those for a while. Um, and Oscar Peterson, you know, I, I mean, I remember, um, tuning into some of my earliest Grammy awards and watching him clean up, you know, yeah. with those albums that he recorded at the Blue Note um, Me too. with Herb Ellis and, and Ray Brown. And there's something about his musicianship that is so, I mean, I feel like you could play it for a three-year-old and there'd be no lack of understanding that this is something exciting. Right. It's something difficult. It's something um, like just joyous and exuberant. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I feel like those are qualities that really um, reach out to a, a young listener. And, mm-hmm. and I was one of those. Yeah. Um, so before I tell you my story, Greg, you, you've been hip, you know, since you've been sentient. So, <laughs> so I wonder, I wonder if you have any like early, like rosebud moments with OP. Um, what, what have you got? Man, at the risk of uh, sharing a non sequitur, um, I'm really bad at remembering jokes, but there's a punchline that I remember, and it has to do with an Oscar Peterson album in every other home in a neighborhood. 
And the reason that I bring that up is because the exposure of OP was just so ubiquitous with all of the record collections that I ever thumbed through as a child. And later mm -hmm. on, when I started crate digging on my own, even till this day, any used jazz section or piano section is going to have an OP album in it. And that's not, folks, because these albums are, are worthy of disdain or throwaway. No, they were so ubiquitous with what the sound of jazz was for casual listeners and experienced listeners. And when I found him originally, um, I wanted to know uh, what the hype was 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 really about. Um, honestly, my first cats that I really had in the home tended to be more so people who were influenced by him. Talking mm -hmm. uh, Les McCann, Herbie Hancock, uh, some of his contemporaries, uh, circa Bud Powell, uh, or, or, or maybe even Thelonious Monk generationally. Um, mm -hmm. But when I first really sat down to listen to Oscar, I was bowled over by his uh, technical um, ferocity, but yeah. there was something in it that was a little bit uneasy to me. And I didn't know if it was his song choice at the time, if it was my acumen to the great American songbook or lack thereof, or if it was really something to do more with um, that category of playing well with others. Mm -hmm. You know, how did he sound in context with, his trio mates, there was something about it that just didn't quite click for me. Yeah, we're going to interrogate that a bit. But before we do, let me share a story of my own. Um, you know, we, mm -hmm. we talk on this show sometimes about um, how we encounter things, right? And and Greg, you know, for you, mm -hmm. um, there was a great record collection within, within you know, a toddler's reach, right? Um, yeah. I was a little more uh, catch as catch can and and subject to the whims of what was in the used bin, you know, and what I could afford with my, you know, uh, 12 or 13 year old budget. So yeah, I still, I think I still have this. I came across a cassette tape at a used record store. I think it was $3 and I could, I could afford that. So I, I copped it. And, uh, this was a cassette of an album called Zoot Sims and the Gershwin brothers. Mm. It was recorded and released in 1975 on the Pablo label. Uh, so the producer was Norman Grants, a man who who exerted it, you know, an incalculable influence in jazz and in the life of Oscar Peterson. Um, and I want to play a, a little bit of the opening cut on this cassette because I had heard Op's name. I had heard some Oscar Peterson recordings, but until I heard this. I feel like I was, it was just a name and a, and a bunch of, uh, of you know, platitudes. Um, but when I heard this solo on, you know, a Gershwin tune called The Man I Love, uh, that's when the light bulb went on. I said, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. All right. This is what we're dealing with. Yeah. Um, so here's Oscar Peterson in 1975.
Oscar Peterson just swinging his backside off on the yeah. man I love. Yeah. Uh, he is playing with uh, with a couple of good friends, Joe Pass on guitar, George Mraz on bass, Grady Tate on drums, and the leader of that session is Zoot Sims on tenor. Um, and when I tell you, I, I wore this cassette out. I mean, this to me was like, you know, this is this is what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. 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 That's a good one to have. That's a good one to have. Um, for me, it was a few years later, actually. Um, I was actually DJing my second gig on radio uh, as a freshman in college at WMOT in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, the booming metropolis. But anyhow, I stumbled upon what was then a new reissue, a complete boxed set of Oscar Peterson uh, live at the London House. And you have to know a little bit about the London House. It was kind of one of those upper crust kind of jazz clubs. If it wasn't for the music, uh, based on your acumen, it would be a place that you'd feel uh, not very comfortable or extremely comfortable. Um, But OP was the attraction uh, over many years in the late 50s, early 60s. Many albums came from his 1959 and 1961 stands uh, at that Chicago uh, venue. Um, Being a Ray Bryant fan, uh, I got excited when I saw uh, an unreleased version listed of Cubano Chant. And I said, okay, you know, I really need to dig further into this guy. Something here is for me. Something here is going to click. Mm-hmm. I love this music. Why am I not getting this? So um, I put on this record and maybe right at the solo, two minutes and change into it. I'm like, man, that's familiar. That sounds like some some Les McCann kind of funky kind of stuff. Mm. But after about another 10 seconds, no, no, this isn't less. This is somebody with a virtuosity that is clearly unmatched. And there are these signposts of this, this funkiness, but in between is this torrent of pianism mm. that in the lesser hands of rhythm mates, Oscar Peterson would have run his rhythm team off of the stage. It's, right. it's, it's literally like the, the fullback going down the field. Uh, you get out of the way or you run with him, plain and simple, which is why um, on further listening, that group had such a synergy because the bassist and the drummer, they understood their role. Um, they were there to support Oscar. This, this is not a democracy here. This is, right. we need to set off this diamond the best way that we can. Um, and very interestingly enough, this solo is just with such prime rhythmic drive and intensity Um Eyebrows, I'm sure, in that building were singed. Uh, uh, wigs were burned. Uh, but there's no applause after this solo because mm, yeah. the jaws dropped on the tables all over the house. You can just feel that Stunned. on this recording. Stunned. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, you set this sucker up. Let's let's hear some of this solo um, from the London house. What year was this again, Greg? 1961. Oscar 61. Peterson. 61 was a very good year. Oh, yeah. All right, here we go. (laughs) 
Again, that's Ray Bryant's Cubano chant, um, brought to amazing life by uh, the Oscar Peterson trio, the trio, Ray Brown on bass, Ed Thigpen on drums. Um, man, I got to ask you, as a drummer, what do you think of, of Ed Thigpen in this context? Is he underappreciated or does he get his due? He's perfect for this trio. Mm-hmm. And I think you you hit the nail on the head setting this up. Um, you know, Ray, Ray Brown was, was, you know, he was a bruiser. I mean, nobody yeah. could hold it down like Ray Brown. As great as he is, he is subordinate to the leader in this trio. There's this kind of, um, I don't know, I, I feel like it's a relationship like you might think about on the football field, you know? Um, mm-hmm. The quarterback has to be the quarterback. Uh, and, you know, if you're a, a great um, offensive lineman setting him up, yeah. uh, you know, that, then that's the that's the nature of that relationship. You can't mess with the hierarchy, right? right. And that's the way this trio functioned. Um, so different from, you know, you talk about 1961. Well, Bill Evans was doing some interesting things in 1961 yeah. with a very different model of trio cohesion. Mm-hmm. Um, with Oscar, you know, there's just no question. And I feel like Thigpen is, is a part of that. He's just, he's just right in the pocket. You know, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. I got to say, I did not know this recording. And, mm. uh, and as we were preparing for this, this, uh, episode, you mentioned it and I checked it out and it is mm-hmm. just, I mean, you know, it makes you want to get religion yeah. um, with Oscar. Um, <laughs> yeah, it does. But that cues up a, a thing, right? We've been singing mm-hmm. Oscar Peterson's praises. I think that's easy to do. And mm-hmm. I think that's our instinct when we get on the microphone because mm-hmm. because he was so great. Yeah. But there's a, there's a deeper truth here that's a little uncomfortable and I want to unpack it mm-hmm. because you and I have listened broadly and we've listened deeply. And there's, for some reason, there's something holding us back Mm-hmm. from a full embrace of this man's musicianship, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and I, I don't have the answer. I, it sounds like you've maybe got some ideas that you fleshed out. Um, I want to talk about it. Sure, sure. At the risk of alienating all my friends <laughs> and all of our listeners. And, and revoking your Canadian uh, uh, passport. That, this is true. <laughs> this is true. Um, you can send me your, your emails. Um, don't, don't worry. As long as they're not snarky now, yeah, be, be kind. I think for me, um, the movie Oscar Peterson, black and white that we'll, we'll talk about in detail, um, helped me to understand in two statements, the, the, the issue or the blind spot that I really have to fully, um, extolling and appreciating Oscar Peterson. I think one ornamentation. Um, it's like a person writing in cursive, the most brilliantly crafted, um, text for me, I feel like I need one or the other. It's, it's, it's kind of like I'm getting lost in, do I look at the form of these letters or do I look at what you're saying? It's a bit distracting. Mm. And I think in the movie as Duke Ellington, uh, cornered Oscar Peterson one night, Hey man, do you ever dig your caviar without the eggs and the onions? And I think tongue in cheek, Duke Ellington wasn't expressing jealousy of, of Oscar's pianism. He was saying, look, man, I don't think you need a bassist and a drummer every Mm -hmm. night. 
I think there may be a season that you need to explore solo piano so that you set yourself off the way that you're hearing yourself in your head. You are the second Art right. Tatum. Right. Um, secondly, I would say um, something that, that, that I have the greatest respect for, and Oscar has my heart with this. There's a quote in the film uh, from Oscar that I'll just briefly paraphrase. He says, if you have to frighten them to get your dignity, then do it. And he's speaking about if you have to use your technical muscle um, to ascend past racism, to ascend past bigotry, to be able to uh, be accepted as a full-on human being operating in the highest artistry, that is not beneath you. You should employ that tactic. So Oscar has my, my respect as someone who generationally has benefited uh, from his toil and, and from his uh, ascendance. Um, and even though I, I, I put my hat off and I raised my glass to him, I also acknowledge that that fight, that competition is not what I want to hear on my turntable every day. Um, I don't think there's a pianist that can really outplay Oscar, but I think night after night, Oscar's real competitor was Ray Brown. And I mm. feel like Ray Brown unfairly um, was maybe not uh, categorized as the amazing virtuosic being that he was because he knew his role so well. We know the deep groove of Ray Brown, but Ray Brown had chops for days that he could not access in that context because there was just no room for it. Um, and I really feel like at times there's just not the, the, the teamwork that I want to hear from a rhythm trio expressed in that band. You just threw a lot on the table, man. Um, and I want to respond to some of it. Uh, I, well, setting aside some of the conversation around the film, which I really would like to get into, uh, and pick back up. Uh, as we're talking about the film. So so let's put that on the shelf for a moment. Um, and let's just talk about your first point, ornamentation. Um, OP was just, he was such a virtuoso and he was so, um, it was so like effulgent, you know? It was just glimmering brilliance. Um, and it's a, it's a bit much. Um, as I became a more seasoned listener, um, I began to understand what he took from Art Tatum. I began to understand what he took from Nat King Cole and from Teddy Wilson. And, and it, it kind of, it was a strange thing, but I also realized that I enjoyed listening to Teddy Wilson mm -hmm. and Art Tatum and Nat King Cole more than I enjoyed listening to Oscar for the most part, here. for Same the most here. part. And some of that has to do with a kind of, there's, there's almost like a, um, when he kicks into a certain gear, it's almost machine-like to me. Um, it feels the, the, the technical excellence is so, is so extravagant. It almost feels automatic. I know it wasn't. And, and you listen to some of his solos and he does things. He throws in these little curveballs that are, that just make you laugh out loud. <laughs> yeah. But there's yeah. a lot of other moments that feel like, okay, all right, we're, we're settling into this, this thing, you know? Um, Greg, have you been watching the Olympics? The winter not, Olympics? not, not much as I should. Cause, be cause the thing that comes to mind for me is figure skating. I've been watching, mm -hmm. I've been watching some incredible 
uh, figure skating, especially mm-hmm. the the male figure skating. Um, yeah. Shout out to, to Nathan Chen. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, you can see someone execute these incredible things yeah. and it can still kind of leave you a little bit flat and you wonder, well, how is this person like defying gravity and like, and doing these incredible things that, you know, a generation ago would have been impossible. Um, and it's just not quite there. And I feel like some of that is just a spark of, of, um, surprise or uh, I don't know, but I, it's, I, I feel, I feel like a crazy person saying this because it's not as if Oscar didn't have charisma. Right. It's not as if he was a rote mechanical improviser. There's just some quality in his playing that that um, makes me glaze over, I guess. Mm, um, mm. And and so it's almost like maybe too much of a good thing, um, you know. And as I say this, uh, I, I don't know if I've ever felt more like a person looking a gift horse in the mouth um, <laughs> because he was a miraculous musician. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Am I am I am I crazy? I don't, I don't think so, man. I think we're dealing with something in our music that doesn't get talked about often. And it's the, the will to be able to assess something as brilliant and still say, that's not my choice Yeah, and, and, and be, right. you know, in, in a, in a space of, of safety. No, man, I know the daggers are out for us and that's okay. Because if we were to do a poll, there's people that would tell us, Hey man, I don't really dig Miles Davis. Right. I don't really dig Duke Ellington. I mean, all of it's heresy, but we have to allot <laughs> yeah. the human well, the human quality of, of you know discourse and decision. You know, in this day and age when when uh you know political opinions are like daggers and yeah. uh, and people are worried about getting canceled, it's mm-hmm. nice to have a safe space here, Greg. <laughs> but speaking of that, we're gonna be hiding out upstate. <laughs> we've got a we've got a a true believer in our midst, and mm-hmm. he has been biting his tongue. Um, I'm referring to our producer, Trevor Smith. Uh, we need to drag him out of the control room and into this discussion. Yeah. Um, Trevor, I know you, you don't like to hop on the mic, but uh, you, you do, have to. Do you to. like our show anymore, Trevor? That's <laughs> what I really want to know. Um, I, I mean, the past few minutes, my Apple Watch is alerting me that my heart rate is increasing uh, <laughs> at a dramatic rate. So. Uh, how about a little context, Trevor? T- tell us about your relationship with Oscar Peterson. Oh, sure. So, you know, you guys are just talking about personal preference. And to me, Oscar is like, he's joy. He's joy incarnate um, for me, for my listening experience. He's like the go-to. I'm in a bad mood. I'm going to pull out West Side Story, my my number one Desert Island Disc is his mm. 1962 record, West Side Story. Mm. And my wife, who is not a big fan of jazz, asks for Oscar Peterson by name. And I mm. think it's because there is this, there's this really approachable element to his playing that is beyond the virtuosity. He's a virtuoso. I get that. You know, you can hear that. But I think his his feel is undeniable. His the joy, the the camaraderie he has with Ray Brown and Ed Thigpen is like palpable to even someone like my wife who it, it does not have an ear for jazz. So 
I understand what you guys are saying. I know everything isn't for everybody, but I, I'm going to make a very bold statement. And I think that Oscar Peterson is, is like the people's music. He's, Mm. he's bringing that joy. He's bringing that swing. He's the antidote to this like esoteric cerebral jazz that has pushed so many people away from this music. If more people were like Oscar Peterson, jazz would be way more popular. That's that's where I stand. Yeah, I hear Good you points. on that. Uh, I appreciate points. that. But but you know, the thing is, so many people have tried to to swim in that lane, and you hear them coming from a mile away. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Because nobody can really do it like he does it, you know? <clears throat> it's funny. He's He's got a very imitatable style. Hmm. He's, he's easy to emulate, mm-hmm. but nobody has done it like him. Um, and so that's an argument for his singular genius. Um, but I don't know. There's, there, it's, it's like there's a... He's like Charlie Parker in that way, right? Um, like he changes the language of, of sort of, you know, modern jazz piano playing. Um, Maybe that's part of my issue is that I, I just I hear sort of pale imitations all over the place, too. Um, well, we can't but we can't fault, you know, Wes Montgomery for his octaves because every smooth jazz and jazz guitarist plays right. octaves like we right. have to have a safe space to say this is why this exists. And I've caught myself. I'll make it personal. You know, man, I, I can't diss them for their for their invention. But I don't know why in, in paler hands and hands that aren't as technically savvy. Again, I bring up the name Les McCann, somebody who would play a tempo that fast as Cubano chant, not making nearly <laughs> the amount of accuracy that yeah. OP. But man, when I feel it in my in my soul, it's just as good as the best meal you ever had. But it's just not on the level of, of OP. Yeah. But it's for me. I, I can't explain right. it. I have a um, I have a counterintuitive proposition, um, and I don't know. Maybe maybe this is like everything else I'm saying in this episode. Um, this makes me feel like I'm out on on thin ice. Um, I, it's it's all, I keep going back to these skating metaphors. I'm sorry, guys. But uh, um, is it possible for someone who was known as such a definitive trio musician and who did so many great things? in trio, either with Ray Brown and Ed Thigpen or with Ray Brown and Herb Ellis. Is it possible that his best format is actually in a, a combo setting where he is not the man out front? Because that's kind of my feeling. I, you know, I, I played this Zoot Sims track, right? Um, there's another album that I love uh, called the Oscar Peterson Trio Plus One. And and it's not just it's not just any one. It's the incredible Clark Terry. That's right. Um, Let me cue up this track. And then, Greg and Trevor, maybe you can refute or confirm my impression. Um, This is the the first track off this album. Um, It's titled The Brotherhood of Man. And we'll we'll just drop the needle on on, uh, Oscar's solo on this track.
Uh, so, so that is the trio, as we've been referring to it, with Clark Terry, uh, a friend and colleague joining the ranks. This album is is um, probably best known in the you know the jazz lore as the you know the origins of mumbles. <laughs> this was a this is an album where Clark Terry scatted this kind of uh, this you know hilarious character where he's sort of half half speaking you know in this sort of uh, patois uh, yeah. and it's a scat thing you know and it became a character that he would explore subsequently you know on the Cosby show and various other places kind of a trademark for the rest of his life mm-hmm. but on this on this track it's just it's kind of a gospel you know soul jazz vibe and then op solo is just it's man it's so good mm-hmm. but my 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 proposition here is that being in a combo, you know, he was so good as a, as an accompanist. And there's a, a mm-hmm. moment in the film that was revelatory for me because it, it, it was like, aha, right. Like he had this understanding of like, okay, well you do a certain thing behind Ella Fitzgerald and you can do a different thing be- behind Stan Getz and you do a different thing behind, you know, Coleman Hawkins. Um, mm-hmm. he, he was so, he's such a great listener. And I think that, it's possible being in a, a combo where he had to comp at least part of the time sort of mm-hmm. nudges him away from the exhibitionism that, mm-hmm. that kind of, you know, s- sends up my defenses. So mm-hmm. that's my, that's, that's my Ted talk guys. What do you think? <laughs> I agree with you 100%. And I'm so glad you brought that point um, for us to consider. Uh, there's another record uh, we may not have time for, but Oscar Peterson, uh, with Lester Young from, I believe, uh, 1957, one of the best Lester Young albums, in my opinion, one of the best Oscar Peterson albums. And you can find that uh, leadoff track, Ad Lib Blues, directly, squarely in the pocket as uh, just a beautiful compliment to the vibe and the aura that Lester Young had on the horn. Oscar Peterson is tracking him perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um his his rare uh, uh, takes at solo piano, just exquisite creations uh, that only Oscar could drum up with no one to push him to the left or to the right. Um, I think that that probably is a prime um, uh, a set to, to hear him with solo and, and with, uh, you know, various quartets. But where I'm confused is when I put on the trio, their tracks that I would go to war for. And then there are other tracks that I'm just not feeling. So it's 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 neither nor, but I'm glad you raised the point about him playing for other people. I thought he did that perhaps here's here's more heresy, better than Art Tatum did. And I'm glad we got to hear Oscar in um the context backing up so many brilliant hornmen. Yeah, thank you, Norman Grants. Trevor, what what do you make of this of this theory? I I'm going to I'm going to make another sports reference. Keep the ball rolling. Um, I I'm going to think of Oscar Peterson as Michael Jordan because everyone thinks of Michael Jordan as this flashy player. You know, the tongue out, the slam dunk from the free throw line. But he also won Defensive Player of the Year. You know, he's mm-hmm. He, his hustle was across the board and we always forget that. And so I think when people think Oscar Peterson, who might not be so into him, 
they're thinking of this, as Greg was saying, this sort of like cursive or the gilding of the lily with all these, right, you know, right. little, you know, flourishes. Um, but his his comping, his ability to just seamlessly slide in with the group. I mean, like Coleman Hawkins encounters Ben Webster is one of the best examples of that, where he just like falls back, lets the the horn players shine. Ellen Lewis, like, and, and I think that we we forget he's he's even there sometimes, and I think that's because he's he's doing his job, and so. Yeah, uh, but I get it. I, I again, I, I I get where you guys are coming from. So so to to use that analogy, is Ray Brown the the Scotty Pippen or the Dennis Rodman <laughs> in this scenario? Uh, Ray Brown is also Michael Jordan. But, yes. but the, <laughs> Dueling Jordans, but, right? Right. We have uh, talked about it and talked around it. Um, but maybe now's the time for us to um, to talk about this film. Um, it's the reason that that uh, we decided to to dwell on Oscar Peterson for this episode. Um, it is just out on Hulu, um, and uh, we've got some thoughts about that. So, um, Trevor, why don't we why don't we toss to uh, a clip from the film briefly, um, and then we'll talk more about what it illuminated for us uh, and our relationship to Oscar Peterson. I get up in the morning, I think piano. I go to bed at night, I think piano. I am a jazz pianist. That's all I want to be. Who's at the top of the heap? Oscar. I didn't know that a piano could be played that fast off the top of your head. Oscar Peterson is what Muhammad Ali meant to boxing and what Michael Jordan meant to basketball. As we've been alluding to all episode long, folks, uh, Oscar Peterson, Black and White, available on Hulu, uh, is something that um, uh, we feel you should see. Um, Barry Average uh, caught up with our very own uh, Gary Walker uh, a few days ago. That is available at the WBGO uh, website. We'll link to that in our, our episode page, too. Um, and yeah, they, they had a great conversation. Um, yeah. and I think this is a really interesting film. Um, you know, I, I have a kind of, um, mixed response to it. I think we'll, mm-hmm. we'll get into some friendly criticism, uh, you know, here, but mm-hmm. why don't we begin, um, you know, by picking up something you mentioned in the, the first part of our show. Um, and that was the sort of, um, you had a kind of awakening to what Oscar did for the the cause of civil rights um, as an ambassador. Um, I will make a confession here. Uh, You know, I've been teaching for several years, um, undergraduates about about jazz and culture. And, you Mm. know, when when it comes time to share um, protest music from that era, you know, I go to Sonny Rollins um, and his Freedom Suite, and I go to Mm. Max Roach and Abby Lincoln, Um, And I go to Charles Mingus and Nina Simone and, you know, it's totally on me. Um, It's a failure that I have not uh, automatically reached um, for Oscar Peterson as well, Mm, mm -hmm. Um, because there's a there's a theme that he composed and it doesn't have the kind of um, 
the, the raging fire of some of these other examples, but in its dignity and, and clarity, it's extremely powerful. And so that's a, that's a, a slight that I, I will not repeat. And this film helped me to understand that. Hymn to Freedom is is is, is gorgeous. Uh, it's that type of piece uh, that elicits um, the, the the sentiment of the best in in yearning and hoping through art uh, for change to come, and also reflecting the toil. Um, that certain people like Mr. Peterson um, had to go through just to get to the next gig. I hear all of that in that song. It, it's just, it shows a different um, point of, of Oscar's mastery to be able to just write a good song, a song that would uh, be able to be played uh, in different contexts by different people and have that message uh, resound through all of the different versions. Um, yeah. I really uh, appreciated also um, within the, the the love fest that was going on, um, just seeing someone like Herbie Hancock, who on immediate listening, I don't directly associate with Oscar Peterson, but now hearing his, his love for Oscar and in thinking about the mix of of classical with the black american tradition herbie hancock is almost the next generation of that just differently stated differently mm -hmm. abled and i i love the fact that he was uh and quincy jones too so willing uh to give uh not only deference but praise as prolific as they are uh, right. to just say hey man who made me excited Oscar Peterson really made me excited. Yeah, awesome. you know, <clears throat> we we should say there's there's a small stable of of talking heads in this film, and and it's a pretty good one. You mentioned Herbie Hancock and Quincy Jones. Ramsey Lewis is also there yes. to pay tribute. Um, John Batiste from the younger generation. Um, uh, my friend and colleague Giovanni Russinello uh, mm -hmm. as a, a critical uh, voice. Um, and then, you know, a little, a little out of left field, but, uh, but he certainly loves his Oscar is, uh, the piano man, Billy Joel, yeah, uh, yeah. who, who mm -hmm. has, has some pretty good things to say. Um, and you really hear the, the deep love and respect, you know, in all of these voices. I, I'm sure that I'm leaving out uh, a few, um, but it also raises a thing, you know, an issue I have with this film. There are few musicians who are better suited to a like just put the camera on them and let them shine than Oscar mm -hmm. Peterson. I mean, he right. his music or or just put the record on and and play some still images. And yeah. to me, there was too much talk and not enough music mm. in this film. Um, I feel like I, I kept wanting to say, show, don't tell, you know, like we get it. How many different times can how many different people tell you? that Oscar Peterson was the greatest. Okay, we get it. We get it. Now like make us feel it. And I didn't right. I didn't feel it enough in the film. Um I don't know that you know it might have been an issue of 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 rights and licensing and you know it's hard to make a film like this. But that was for me a missed opportunity. I I I wanted to be wowed by the man himself. And there's another thing, right? 
mm-hmm. um, to observe this this occasion. And because I guess they didn't have the footage they needed, they convened some some contemporary musicians in Canada to to pay tribute. And you know, as we've said already on this show, it's it does it just doesn't work <laughs> because because there was only one Oscar Peterson, and uh, and so True. you're not really. Um, you're not really doing him justice. I mean, no disrespect to the musicians who gathered in his name, but it's just it's just not the same. I will say this. One musician in the direct lineage of Oscar Peterson that I'm a big fan of uh, is pianist and vocalist Johnny O'Neill. And mm. I thought he would have been a yeah. very excellent choice if there was the issue, as you said, of rights clearance. Having a modern musician in the tradition and style of Oscar there's yeah. no one finer than Johnny O'Neill to be able to uh, fill that uh, role. I agree. I mean, you know, we're we're sort of uh, Monday morning quarterbacking this thing, but of course, Johnny of O'Neill course. would have been great. I think Diana Krall would have been great. Interesting. You know, yeah. About, yeah. Talk about you know Canadian uh, musical royalty, but also somebody. I mean, I've heard her throw some op licks into her into her mm-hmm. solos. She can play. Yes, sir. And and just as someone, you know. This this raises a, a point that I think the film does make quite well, right? Um, jazz occupied quite a different place in popular culture when Oscar was emerging. Um, and Norman Grant's and Jazz at the Philharmonic played a role in changing that image and mm-hmm. bringing it, you know, to not only a wider audience, but to a concert audience, you know. Right. In our first segment, Trevor referred to Oscar as, you know, the, the people's music. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, there are multiple dimensions to that phrase because on the one hand, he's of the people, it, you know, it, it's sort of a populist style. But on the other hand, there is a real concerted effort to bring, to, to elevate the music, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that throughout really his entire career, because of the fact that that Oscar was kind of a, a prodigy when Norman Grant's um, began putting him on big stages. He has always been sort of a big attraction and and an embodiment of uh, just the incredible achievement mm-hmm. of these of these musicians as artists, you know. Absolutely. And and so I do not want to overlook that the, mm-hmm. the importance of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. It's funny. So just sometimes these things can be a little bit at odds, you know. Yeah, no, uh, I know. You know, you're looking for a little more grit and grease in this playing, and you know, meanwhile, um, it's it's immensely meaningful to see this man on a on a sold out concert stage, um, bringing all the you know, all the erudition and mm-hmm. all of the soul that he did. It was the right time. It was the right kind of buzz. And to have an impresario with the foresight to be able to um, uh, grant Oscar that stage uh, is commendable. I also want to bring up the fact that uh, Norman Grants didn't get Oscar Peterson the first time he heard him. He actually heard him in person first and passed on him, which is a point that even the most seasoned listeners, um, we need to take our time. We need to reinvestigate things when we were young and heard and maybe panned or weren't ready for. Um, generational listening and updating is very important. That's why I'm pledging to listen to more Oscar Peterson, because I feel like maybe there is a connection even stronger to be made, um, even the more mature in my listening that I can get. 
So, yeah. Yeah. You know, in our New Year's resolution show, we promised to listen to more music. Mm-hmm. And I think that that uh, pledge to dig more OP is, is a, that's a good challenge. You know, I think I'm yeah. going to start with uh, West Side Story. Uh, you know, taking a page from Trevor's book. Uh, that's I'm, I want right to jump on. off. I want to exit the studio and go put that on right now. Um, nice. You know, it, it it is it is a painless assignment to, to dig mm-hmm. into the music of Oscar Peterson because it is it is so joyous. Um, <clears throat> yes, it is. You know, I wonder whether some of what what our our you know some of our ambivalence has to do with the kind of um, it, it was such a bright light that it that it cast some other things in shadow, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if this is really true, but I had an impression in the '80s and '90s that that Oscar, being as you know massive as he was in the popular culture, he kind of sucked all the air out of the room. Um, hmm. I don't know if that's really true. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it is interesting that in the in the years since his death. Um, you know, a, a, a friend of mine, Martin Johnson, actually wrote a, a piece titled Did Jazz Forget About Oscar Peterson? Hmm. Um, reviewing this film, which is a, a kind of a crazy thing. But when I think about it and I think about the, you know, whatever, the fortunes that mm-hmm. rise and fall, I would venture to say that Oscar is not talked about as much in 2022 as he was mm. in 1992. Right, and I would venture right. to say that Thelonious Monk is talked about much more. True. You know what I mean? True. Um, no, that's a good and point. So, so we're, you know, just these things kind of rise and fall. Um, and it is worth remembering that, that Oscar Peterson was, he was more than the, you know, the prize thoroughbred, you know, he was, mm-hmm. he was a thoughtful human being. Mm-hmm. He was a, an artist of integrity. Um, mm-hmm. And he and he could cook, you know, like, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So so it's 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 all you know, this is a good discussion we're having here. And I, I think it's good that we're going to continue it. Well, folks, if we haven't scared you away, uh, <laughs> we thank you for checking us out. Um, we're going to go into our, our feature that we talk about uh, things that uh, are giving us joy, uh, much like Oscar Peterson. Uh, is, is certainly uh, capable of. Uh, this I Dig is the name of the segment. Hank Mobley, we uh, borrowed that from his classic title on the Soul Station album. Uh, just things that we're digging on, enjoying in general. Nate, what have you got for us this week? Well, this episode is dropping on February 25th. Um, and it so happens that another thing dropping on February 25th is Robert Glasper's Black Radio 3. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, and I think, you know, we didn't mention him, but I think I think Glasper is another person who has been a beneficiary of the Oscar Peterson, you know, legacy. Yeah. Um, I know he's listened to some OP. Mm-hmm. Um, but this album, uh, I have written about it for NPR Music. You can find that uh, uh, at WBGO.org and and on this uh, episode page. Um, this is a, a the continuation of a project that Glasper launched uh 10 years ago mm-hmm. um but it's also the continuation of a conversation that that he's been involved with that goes back you know decades um the convergence 
of improvised music and R&B and soul um, and to some extent hip hop, uh, you know, Glasper's become kind of the torchbearer of this thing. And I think this album really beautifully crystallizes a lot of what he's been about. That's awesome, man. I'm really looking forward to um, experiencing that and seeing the the contrast between the first two. I was a serious fan of of both of those records. And man, um, he always brings the crew. Um, let's see what this one sounds like. I'm looking oh, it's, forward it's, to that. It's a pretty serious crew on this on this installment. Uh, he's already won, I think, two Grammys with oh, singles wow. leading up to it. So, Crazy. you know, yeah. What do you got, Greg? Man... It's a band that we've both seen at different venues now, uh, but I want to shout them out. Uh, the John Schofield Yankee Go Home Project. Yeah. Pretty right. killin'. Um, Vicente Archer, uh, one of the brilliant bassists uh, in our music today. Josh Dion, a new name for me. Uh, he has a solo project, essentially, where he is um, playing uh, different instruments simultaneously, uh, the drum set being one of them. But he was so square in uh, making that music rock. Uh, uh, John Cowherd was the was the pianist. John Schofield out front, uh, just getting energy from this um, rhythm section that refused to lay down. Man, they brought all the energy, all the vibe, and it's a perfect midway, I think, between John Schofield's uh, more groove-oriented uh, Uber Jam projects. And his uh, straight ahead leanings. I think they're, they've mm-hmm. found this sweet uh, spot, if you will. Yeah, this is a band I could imagine at the Newport Jazz Festival and Bonnaroo. Um, mm-hmm. It just kind of makes sense, you know. And and the set that I saw, they were covering Neil Young. Um, you know, there was there was some cool stuff. Uh, you know that people recognized in the set list. Yeah, it's, yeah. I I imagine. I don't I I don't know for sure, but. I would guess that there's an album coming soon from this crew. There has to be from Sko, man. He has been, you know, at the forefront of introducing new projects consistently. And normally there's always an album to to follow. Maybe they're just fine tuning for the road before they, they hit the studio. If that's the case, look out, folks. There's another uh, uh, heat missile coming from Sko. Well, folks, thank you for hanging with us as we work through our feelings about Oscar Peterson (laughs) uh, and reflect on this new film um, and give ourselves some homework assignments. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, let us know what you're checking out from the OP catalog. You know, tell us if you think we're completely off base. Be nice about it. But, you know, we can take it. And we also want to remind you that Jazz United is a product of WBGO Studios which uh, itself is an outgrowth of Newark Public Radio, WBGO. This is uh, member-supported public radio. Um, And so we hope that you will consider making a contribution to WBGO because when you do, uh, you are supporting the world's greatest jazz radio station and you're also supporting the work that we do here and elsewhere. Um, I also want to shout out our man Greg Bryant has a WBGO Studios podcast called Let oh, Me Tell You, you About It. Um, it is new and it is already in full stride. So we hope you'll check that out along with The Checkout and Sports Jam, mm-hmm. um, our other WBGO Studios podcasts. Uh, I feel like I've been talking a lot here. So, Greg, I'll hand it over <laughs> to you. 
<laughs> We've both been. We've both been. Folks, Jazz United is a product of WBGO Studios. I'm Greg Bryant. He's Nate Chenin. Our producer is Trevor Smith. Um, we've been talking about Oscar Peterson. What you're hearing now is uh, a track from one of the finest piano trio albums ever recorded, Night Train. We're going to go out with another track from that. This is Sea Jam Blues. We'll see you really soon um, next time. But uh, folks, in the meantime, be safe. Take care. Take care.